Hey, Kaisis family. It is with a sad heart that I inform you that Pastor Todd passed away. Um, words cannot fully express how thankful I am for his ministry and the big role he played in my spiritual growth. And I'm sure he has impacted your life too in his many years of ministry. Um, the following episode is the last episode we were able to record together. Um, I'll be taking a break from Kaisis for, for a month. I'm not sure what the future holds for, for Kaisis, but I'm just really thankful for all your love and support throughout the years. Here's the episode. So, Osvaldo, in a very weird way, you've been celebrating Ramadan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's clarify that, Pastor, or else we'll get in trouble. <laughs> nah, so, uh, yeah, my, my Muslim friends have been celebrating Ramadan for the last month, and just yesterday... They uh, it ended and they're celebrating Eid, which is um, equivalent to our Christmas. So three days worth of celebration, lots of food. So I got to go hang out, celebrate, eat good food. And yeah, I think I told you right before this that it's been a, a long weekend of a lot of socializing. And I didn't think I could be exhausted from that. But I am. Uh, and the majority of your ministry now is with Muslim families, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's been great because one, I think I've told you this before, that one of our biggest challenges is kind of getting to know dads, the father, because they're always working. And, you know, Ramadan, since they get the day off, the days off, we've been able to just kind of present ourselves, develop these relationships with the father. So it's been a huge blessing and, and, and great progress. Uh, the, Lord's, the Lord's really working. You know? uh, that's neat to hear. So we're going to talk about science today and our journey in understanding science in the Bible. I think when I look back on mine, being a new Christian and being part of a church that was mostly influenced by Dallas Theological Seminary back in the 80s, um, it was a young earth, literal six-day creation type church. The emphasis really was on the age of the earth. Mm -hmm. And so we would have speakers come in and talk about that the earth must be young and Genesis must be taken that way, literally true, as they would say. And there was some way dinosaurs and man were together. And a lot about the moon would be dust if the earth was old. And I didn't quite understand it all, but we were definitely threatened that if we didn't believe this, we didn't really believe the Bible. Yeah. I didn't even know at the time, of course, that the Young Earth Creation movement really started in the 60s and was a fairly new movement. I didn't know there were other views out there among Bible-believing Christians, whether presently or historically. It took a while to start learning those. Hmm. But that was sort of the limit of what I understood. I, I certainly accepted it, but I'm, I'm not very science-minded, and so I didn't do a lot of research or anything. I just assumed they told me that I must believe this. No. So that was sort of the limit back then. What about your youth inside? Yeah. For us, it was a little different because so the churches I grew up in were very, you know, lower class and the, the, the I'm not, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just re being real. It's a lot of the congregants, they didn't graduate from middle school my dad barely graduated middle school. He didn't go to high school. They had come from very poor backgrounds. So as a congregation, uh, they weren't science oriented. So 
the the assumed position was you know we believe the bible so if the bible says six days it's it's six days but there wasn't really a it, it wasn't in response to kind of oh look evolution oh look and they were trying to find you know kind of impose science facts into the bible saying you know this it, it, nah it didn't happen like that it just wasn't it was it, it wasn't part of the conversation growing up to be honest hmm. yeah yeah i think what changed for me is i started attending classes at Westminster Seminary in California and Meredith Klein, Dr. Klein was my professor and he taught a different view known as the framework interpretation and the idea that there's a literary framework to Genesis 1 and and that sort of blew my mind just to see you know how the scripture may have a different um, view of that but my Hebrew professor then Mark Furtado he was a six-day literal day creationist and he had said he'd never really studied it carefully so that summer of my first semester after that he decided to study it deeply mm -hmm. uh chapter one and two and he came back in the fall with klein's view oh wow and he said i i was wrong this is not a you know a literal 24-hour day and so that had a lot of students up in arms because you know, they thought this was a matter of orthodoxy and there were debates and hotly debated in reform wow. circles, Presbytery, you know, whether a guy should even be allowed if he doesn't have a six day view, young earth view. So for me, I started seeing, I started studying the science as much as I could. No. Not really the origins of man as much as like the claims of the recent global flood, seeing that. The scientific evidence seems to point to the opposite. I'm glad my denomination allows, you know, varying various views on the age of the earth and mm. things like that. But then I took a class for my doctorate at RTS in Jackson. Mm -hmm. And the professor um, gave us a paper, a, a long reading assignment on genomes. Mm -hmm. uh, this is odd because it was an ethics class. Uh, <laughs> And it talked about how science is being able to trace a man back with a common descent, that there were more than one, you know, just Adam and Eve, that there were others out there. Hmm. And what are we going to do with this science? He was basically asking the question. And that was the first time I ever studied that. Hmm. So I began to be much more open to science, uh, what modern science is teaching at least listening more carefully, understanding that the scriptures aren't written to give us all the scientific answers we're asking today. Mm -hmm. The more I studied, you know, Genesis myself. Um, so my views certainly began to change. I was convinced from Klein's perspective, but again, I, it didn't matter that much to me. It wasn't a do or die. The only problem to me is when you claim, you know, your view is sort of the orthodox view. Hmm. Uh, that that we'll talk about in a moment becomes problematic. But how did your initial view begin to change looking back? It all started, Pastor, when you came in and we were voting for you <laughs> to be our pastor. Because that's when I learned that there were one more than one view. Because I've, I've only heard either you believe in, at least uh, when I was in high school, either you believe in evolution or you believe in the Bible, right? Literal six day and all that stuff. So I, I didn't. I just assumed that was there was only one option. Then you then 
your your position came up and, and when they were kind of presenting you to the congregation and i was like i've never heard of that it doesn't sound like a big deal to me but it's funny because then like i guess it was a big deal for other people because they took that looking back really out of proportion they really kind of low-key kind of some people really freaked out about you not holding to a literal six day so i'm like that was the first time i interacted it differently but since it was coming from a from my denomination and from someone that i respected so i'm like okay like it wasn't shocking that was kind of the introduction to at least being open to other possibilities and what really changed it's funny because i had to do a paper and and um on it was it was like my professor gave me free reign choose a chapter in Genesis and and, and find a controversial theological subject and, and deal with it. All right, and I did it. I remember you addressing it in a Sunday school. So I'm like, okay, let's let's do it. So I read Futaro, I read Klein, and I read um, kind of other stuff and a little bit of church history. And then I'm like, I, I was personally convinced, kind of in in the process. Uh, I'm a very narrative-oriented person, and I saw how uh, Klein's, uh, what it's called, the framework approach made more sense when it comes to the narrative of Genesis. So that 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 really was the the changing point for me. But it all started uh, when uh, when you came in first. And it's funny because from that point to when I was convinced was maybe maybe two, three years, Pastor. So it took a, it took a while. Yeah, I didn't even know about your paper. I don't think we've ever talked about that. I think I think I, I mentioned that I'm make I'm doing a paper and you recommend the Futaro. That's oh, what you told me. Oh, you should okay. read on Futaro. That's yes. what you told me. Now I remember that. Yeah. Hmm. So you know when we look at Genesis, uh, you know we talk about our journey. Where where are we at now? I think um, it's safe to say we do need a historical Adam and Eve mm-hmm. because I the New Testament doesn't make much sense as it looks back at Adam and Eve. You know, Paul is clear, sin entered the world through a man. Mm-hmm. So you really need a covenant of works between God and Adam to make sense of the gospel, the way the New Testament presents the work of Adam. So I think for me, that's sort of the the deal breaker where you have to draw a line. Because once you talk about Genesis 1 as myth, or if it's explaining through a myth that the world is sinful. Mm-hmm. If sin doesn't come through a covenant, then the work of Christ is so muddled, it's it's hard to make any sense of it. Exactly. Um, but as far as, you know, as I've, once you get those shackles off, if you have to have a certain view, you start reading Genesis, you look at Genesis 4, you do see other people around. There are, seems like towns already there, you know, Cain goes out. The natural sense of the passage if we don't bring in our preconceived notions of of who should be there and where they're from, it doesn't seem to be enough time for Eve to have this many children. <laughs> uh, poor Eve, if that's the case. But yeah. um, and so you know you have to deal with the reality of Adam and Eve are are, are considered the first, but were there people around and Adam and Eve the first one to be given souls? So they were the first ones to be truly human. That's an open question. How long was the earth formless and void? In verse 2 of chapter 1, you know, if, if science sees the earth as billions of years old, could the earth have been around that long, formless and void? I don't know. Uh, 
Yeah. I don't think there's anything that forbids us from believing that. And, you know, and as far as how Adam was formed, well, we're told he's formed from the dust of the ground and Eve wasn't formed from the dust of the ground. She was formed from Adam. And yet in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 3, 19 and 20, it says, for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beasts for all his vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust and to dust all return. So here, women are included as those from the dust. And yet in Genesis 2, they're not technically from the dust. And so does Adam being made from the dust have more of a symbolic reference to mortal? Mm-hmm. That's another way of saying he's mortal and he could die if women are now included as from the dust. There's a lot of questions I don't think the Bible answers is the point. Mm. And and. As someone once said, you know, Moses wasn't writing Genesis with Darwin in mind. No. You know, with our, all our modern scientific questions in mind, he had other purposes. So, um, yeah, any, any thoughts on as you've, have you restudied Genesis and how it interacts with science? Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. One thing that, and you mentioned it, that we we have to be as, if we want to be good readers of the Bible, we have to be aware of our own biases. We do live in a in a you know in a modern age. We, we think very scientifically, and that, that is a good thing. It, it is is a is a God given thing, right? It, it it is a blessing, but we have to be careful not to be anachronistic, right? Impose our own um, modern scientific knowledge and try to impose it into the Bible or reconcile. And want to be careful and seek to reconcile it with the Bible in this sense, right? We don't. You've said this before. The Bible is not a science book, so we 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 shouldn't mold or or try to interpret Scripture to be something it was never meant to be. What do I mean by that? And, and you mentioned it when when Moses is writing Genesis. But when is he writing Genesis? He's writing Genesis in a context where you have a, a you have a, a people of Israel recently freed from Egypt. They come from you know they they have so much baggage from Egypt. They, they come from gods and, and they have their own twisted sense of who God is, what God, what has happened to them and all that stuff. And God is trying to mold a, a people, right? Kind of reorient them to think in terms of they are Yahweh's people. They're not the, of the gods of Egypt. They are his. So God is, is, is molding and, and shaping their thinking and their imagination through the Torah. And if we, if we divorce kind of, Genesis from what from where and when and to whom it's written not only do we miss out from the whole narrative I think we I don't know Genesis becomes a little frankly a little bit ridiculous right because it was never meant to be a science book and now we are making it a science book I don't know at least those those are my thoughts what do you think no I think you're right and of course on the things it says that are are being you know scientific of course it's just that there's not much there in that's trying to be scientific. No, it's, you know, it, it goes too fast, right? Heaven and earth, the stars and like the cosmos are barely mentioned, right? They're almost like in passing, goes goes to earth. It's so funny. Uh, it, it, have you noticed that in ancient writings, they're very specific about the mechanics of how the gods shape the world. But then in just in Genesis, God just makes it. He speaks and it's done, right? 
so a lot of the the common um i don't know uh I don't know what are you sprinkles or whatever these extra details are simply absent so it's a very strange book right when we don't when we don't understand kind of for who and, and when it was written right yeah and if you compare it to the other creation accounts it's really what's left out which makes god the ultimate <laughs> you know he's not fighting with other gods like all no. the other accounts yeah and he's not molding pre-existing stuff either right, right? He, he just Speaking speaks things. and it's there yeah yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's a danger danger of making our modern science a test of inerrancy or orthodoxy. It becomes a stumbling block in the way of unbelievers because they study science, whether common. I don't want to say of people, when you say evolution now, they, they think of apes to man with evolutionists don't really believe that anymore. Mm-hmm. They believe in common descent. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when you, when you tell them, the Bible teaches a young earth, a recent global f- f- flood, and you have to give up all aspects of evolution. You you know, not to trust modern science. You put a stumbling block in a way that the Bible itself doesn't. And yeah. and I've talked to people, you know, they think they have to, to be a Christian, they have to give up their mind, to wow. give up reason, to give up their mm-hmm. education. And, and that's very dangerous to put a stumbling block in the way of unbelievers instead of the gospel itself. But it also is a stumbling block in the way of young Christians mm-hmm. because they're warned against all modern science and, you know, it's all led by atheists who want to destroy your faith. You know how it goes. Mm-hmm. Then they go off to college and there's, and they learn in college that, you know, there's good science for these positions and these teachers are not out to get Christianity, that you know, they feel like they feel like they've been lied to by people afraid mm-hmm. um, of their views, and so they realize that suspicion they were told to have against all unbelieving scientists, and even against Christians who believe wrongly, mm-hmm. uh, that led to a dangerous fundamentalism and an arrogance. And but they have no answers when real science is presented to them. Mm-hmm. And so it really hurts young Christians from very conservative circles oh, yeah. when they go out into the world. And there's just, just so many stories yeah. about that. Any any thoughts on that? I actually have a friend. He, you know, very science-oriented person. He's actually starting to be an engineer. And I don't want to give more details than that. But he, uh, it's funny, he was one of, him and his brother were one of the first people to, because they're very, like I was saying, very science-oriented people. They started voicing in our church, in our Hispanic church, about, evolution and they were like we are personally convinced this is it and they got you know the classic shut down um you know the bible says this shut up type deal and that was really um you know over time it's just exhausting and you start seeing like you say you start seeing christians just like these live by faith people and ignore you know certain empirical evidence or whatever or you try to divorce reason from 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 the bible and one of them really went on to become a staunch staunch atheist actually now and we had a, a conversation recently called me up and told me about his his conversion and i'm like yeah, i'm sorry to hear that you know that sucks but it's interesting because it all started with that pastor the hmm. fact that the church always shut him down when he thought that he had something to say or he had convictions that they weren't unfounded and just no one wanted to enter into that dialogue and, and, and it was it was a good conversation because I told him about my recent change because it happened. I think we talked in the summer and this happened a, uh, 
this happened right after I wrote that paper on on the framework uh, interpretation of Genesis one, and I told him that, that there there are other alternatives, and he's like he just made an interesting comment. He's like, oh, I I didn't know there were other alternatives in Christianity, you know, and and obviously yeah. what I say is completely theoretical, like what ifs, right? At the end, obviously it's God and His Spirit. But like you said, I just, if anything, what we can say for certain is that this issue ends up being more of a stumbling block for for, for young believers or for, for people because we try to make the Bible something that it isn't. And it's, it's not a science book. And and, and we just kind of, um, we die on these with these weird hills. And it's just very unfortunate with this with this one friend. But what really caught my attention is that's where it started. The, the constant yeah. shutdown and the condescension and the, the, the shame, you know, that they, oh, look at this guy. He believes this. And, you know, they make it sound like you start being a little bit ostracized from your community because you you hold to something like that. You hold a different understanding of Genesis 1. So it's just, it just very strange, right, that that the, the hills that Christians die on. And what I hope is that people can see that that ends up being more of a stumbling block than actually developing meaningful faith. And like you said, that in no way does us dying on this a literal six-day account does that contribute, I think, personally, to a better understanding of the gospel? I don't know. Right. Yeah, and I think when it comes, people ask me about evolution. And uh, for me, I mean, I know a number of Christians who have PhDs, you know, they're, they're in science that are evolutionists. And, mm -hmm. you know, they're very committed Christians to the Lord and Scripture. Um, so I, I certainly wouldn't say you can't be a Christian and hold it. Mm-hmm. Um, in my mind, you have to have some type of a uniqueness of the soul um, in Adam and Eve that there wasn't just, you know, people with souls uh, before that. I don't know how you fit that in the Bible. But as far as man's body, how it formed, um, I, I'm not qualified to teach on these things. Mm -hmm. So I would never teach evolution. Um, but I, I wouldn't judge Christians who, you know, who held to it. Um, and the science may change and, mm -hmm. and, and so I'm open to, you know, whatever, whatever they're doing and, and, and science. And so I would never say I'm an evolutionist or, or teach it. And especially in our denomination, that's not allowed. And even when we don't agree on things, we, we submit to it while we're in it, but it's not a deal breaker for me. I don't have a problem with Christians who who are scientific minded, who hold to it. I don't think they're compromising the faith. Mm -hmm. um, again, to me, the deal breaker is that God created all things out of nothing. There's a historic Adam and Eve, a historic fall. It's not a myth to explain why people are bad in general. Mm -hmm. And so there was a covenant of works between God and Adam. Those are the things to me that, why, that hold the gospel together. But, any final thoughts on evolution or anything else? Yeah, no, I think I think you're you're absolutely right in kind of recognizing our own limitations because I'm 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 not science oriented at all, right? I wish I was, but I'm but, but I'm not, so I'm definitely not going to make any any claims or any or teach about that simply because I'm I'm generally ignorant um, about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think adopting a, a humble attitude. And, and recognizing that the church um, is is big enough to hold different views, um, if we develop not only that, if we, if we develop that attitude, I think that that would only contribute to the health of the church and its well being, not not against it. And, and um, two, I think you're right. I think 
because I'm trying to think about the incarnation, right? If the only reason we have hope in the resurrection and in the coming, um, in the and in, in the new creation, everything hinges on the reality of the incarnation that Christ truly took on flesh and and you know died for our sins and resurrected. But in order for that to happen, right, like the reality of sin, at least for for Paul and for Jesus, is located in Adam, right? It's our federal head. So for them, it's both, right? If 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 you if you are confident that in Christ we have the hope of the resurrection, you have to equally hold that in Adam we are fallen, because that's what the real incarnate Jesus frees us from. So, yeah, I would agree with you that even in my ignorance, for me, a deal breaker would definitely be to kind of dismiss the historicity of 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 Adam and Eve, which is happening in some parts of evangelicalism. Oh yeah. Um, I'm actually curious, Pastor, because this is where I'm, I love church history, but this is where I'm a little bit ignorant because I know the, one of the first Christians to hold to an allegorical understanding of creation, like as in not literal six days, was actually um, Augustine. Right. But I'm actually curious of how, if he, I'm curious, I'm, I'm sure he did, but how he interacted with kind of the human issue. I don't know if he took that also allegorically or was he a little inconsistent there and just saying, you know what? All of this creation is allegorical except the making of man. I, I don't know. I'm actually genuinely curious of how Christians have interacted with that. Yeah, well, he held to instantaneous creation. That Oh, okay. I actually didn't know that. Yeah, oh, that's, that, that's, that's, yeah that's he new. thought that it wouldn't even take God six days or six seconds. That it would, mm, If God's yeah. going to do it, it would just have to happen. So he saw the days as a literary framework, Oh, not a okay. literal, not a literal week. But his view of instantaneous creation was pretty prominent throughout the middle ages so mm. the idea that it's not a literal six days even going to instantaneous was was fairly well accepted and it mm. wasn't considered um you know controversial oh yeah um oh, that's, that's interesting I, I i didn't know that but yeah but definitely i i, I have seen the trends that you speak about kind of uh make it's, it's usually from the same camp to adam and eve was a myth and they usually kind of make you know, when the Jesus stuff, and this, we're going to get sidetracked a little bit here, but they make the same claim that um, there's a historical Jesus, you know, all, all the parts of the gospel that make him look human, that's real. Right. And when you get to parts like John, this exalted Messiah, this divine Messiah, that's that's the Jesus, the myth. There's Jesus, the historical one, the, uh, the historical Jesus, and then Jesus, the myth. So, yeah, usually from the same camp. I don't know if that's, that's what you've seen. Yeah, I think, yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> Well, why don't we stop there and then we'll no, for sure. go on to something else next week. Thanks for today.